KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The Supreme Court has issued a decision striking down a more than 100-year-old New York state law that dealt with who could get a permit to carry a gun in public. This has huge implications, and we wanted to break down the 6-3 decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. So we spoke with Dr. Susan Liebel, professor of political science at St. Joseph's University. So we had talked earlier in a previous episode about this case as it was being adjudicated for people who maybe didn't get the chance to listen to that before we dig into the decision, kind of lay out what this case was all about, what was on the table. So in the U.S., there's four types of states. Uh, There's states that don't issue concealed carry. There's states that may issue concealed carry. You You have to apply, and then the state decides whether you have good cause. Or shall issue. Pennsylvania is a shall issue state in which you fill out a form and with little or no discretion, if you meet the criteria, you get your permit. And then there's states with no permits are required. Texas, Idaho, Maine, you could do whatever you want. So in the context of the U.S., dividing into these four different types of states, you know, states who are really concerned with concealed carry as a danger to public safety and as others who are not. We look at New York State, and for a hundred years, New York State has required this permitting system in which you have to submit, and if you qualify, then you get a permit. And in that context, two men, Robert Nash and Brandon Koch, applied for an unrestricted license to carry a concealed firearm in public. The men live in Rensselaer County, and that includes uh, a mid-sized city of Troy, about 50,000 people. There's a couple of colleges up there and also rural areas. I mean, it's a a county very familiar to us in Pennsylvania or in New Jersey. Both men were denied these unrestricted concealed carries, but they were given carry for hunting and target practice. Both of them appealed. They both wrote letters saying like, we're law abiding, you know, and we've taken firearm safety courses. And Nash said like, look, there's been a string of robberies in the area. That's why I want it. And he was granted concealed carry for work travel to protect him, to give him the self-defense protection. Both men and the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association claim that New York State's proper cause requirement for this unrestricted license violates the Second Amendment. And and that's what the the court was deciding. You know, is this 100-year-old law unconstitutional? Today, as we're talking, June 23rd, we get the Supreme Court decision. Explain what the court ruled. The court ruled, yes, this 100-year-old rule is a uh, violation of the Second Amendment. And what they did was they took the finding in a previous case, Heller, that said, you know, you can't ban handguns for people to use as protection in their homes, which was a very extreme measure. It was in D.C. and it said, you know, you can't own a handgun at all in your home. And the court found that to be too restrictive, but they were very specific. They said that what the Constitution protects is your right to self-defense in the home and found access to a handgun to be covered. 
this decision says something very different. It says that the Second Amendment right to self-defense extends to being out in public and defending yourself in public, and therefore there's a constitutional right to that. So that's the sort of first finding that that, that we're changing how we think about your rights. So it's now not about private self-defense, but public self-defense as well. Second, that this statute is 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 too rigid. It requires too much and it requires too much discretion by the government of New York State. And lastly, that it is there is no analogy for it in the history and tradition of the United States. And and really, and this maybe is a little technical, but I think I can make it clear, this is the big piece. The big piece is that instead of asking whether the state has a compelling interest in public safety, whether the state has a reason for not wanting concealed carry on the New York City subways, that's not the question. The question is, is there a historical analogy? And from now on, all laws made by states have to have a historical analogy. We're relying on 100, 200 year old laws when guns, it took five minutes to reload. And we are applying that what we have now should be governed by the ideas of 250 years ago. I mean, I'm just, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a layman. But how does that make sense? Well, there's sort of two answers to that. One would be, it's not clear that Back in the day that 200 plus years ago, people actually did have regulations about guns and they thought about public safety and they said a lot of the same things that New York State says. And let's be clear, New York State's law is a century old. Like, let that sink in that if we're talking about history and tradition, this is the history of our country. History of our country is that in uh, places like the OK Corral, there were signs up that said, check your gun at the bar when you come into town and you're not allowed to carry it. Now, those were dismissed by the court as like, well, the West was different. And you know, so, so we have this sort of two problems. One, it might be that there it are really important lessons to get from history. But the problem is that history is easy to play with and you can find examples and dismiss examples. And, you know, I, I, to be very blunt with you, it's very hard for me. This is a very emotional day for those people who study the Supreme Court. When I used to read a Supreme Court opinion, I would get wrapped up in both sides. I would read the majority opinion and I would say, wow, that's so smart. I'm convinced. And then I'd read the dissent and I'm like, ugh. That's also really, really smart. I'm so convinced. That is no longer the case. We're living in a very different world here on the Supreme Court. These are not, these are not arguments about how to interpret the Constitution. The majority opinion is a political position, and it's just gift-wrapped in history to provide a few examples. And any examples that don't work they dismiss as irrelevant. So, you know, Justice Thomas, and this is the, the most extreme opinion that could have been written, was written in this case. And it would have been written by Justice Thomas, who has had a long-term interest in the Second Amendment. 
And there's really excellent scholarship about just the, the kind of role he's played in getting some of these cases to the court and changing how we think. And he wrote a very important opinion in McDonald, which was uh, an, an Illinois case. So we we know what he's been thinking, but the court you know, has never signed on to something as extreme as what he presented. But this was a very extreme position in which he said it has to be the right history. Like it's not, he says, not all history is created equal. And so, you know, he he is saying that the court has the ability to distinguish what's the good history and what's the bad history. And he's finding the case made by New York State unconvincing. So what in practical terms, what does this mean now for let's, you know, specifically New York State that you can conceal carry a gun and if you're caught, it's not not a big deal. Kind of what does it mean? Okay, so this affects 25 percent of the people who live in the United States. So it's you know, it's only about eight states and, and there's controversy on the court as to how you count these. But but the way you should count them is that there are some states that just say fill out a form and if you meet the criteria, you're in. And there's some that don't. So for all those states that don't, and that includes California and New York and Massachusetts and New Jersey, Connecticut, they will have to rewrite their laws. And their laws will now have to look a little bit more like Pennsylvania's law, which is a uh, shall issue. Now, and this was raised by in the dissent by Justice Breyer in how you count the number of states. And that's important because one of the things the court likes to say is, you know, we're following the states. We're following the democratically elected people and the rules that they're making. And we all have to remember that in 1987, almost every state in the union looked just like New York. There was only one state that allowed this, which was Vermont. And now, so so in 1987, only Vermont was a permitless state. Now we have 21 permitless states. In 1987, a majority of the states were May issue. Now it's only six or eight, depending on how you count it. So we have this this issue that this is really new. And if we really think about the tradition of the United States, it's it's been varied. So what does this mean? It means California, New York, Massachusetts, they all need to rewrite their laws. They need to look more like the shall issue states. And that's interesting because, you know, some of the shallow issue states have some weird stuff in them. Pennsylvania, you know, says like you you can't have a and I'm not going to get the language exactly right. But, you know, you can't have a uh, a reputation for being a drunkard. You have to have certain good character. There are some shall issue states that do limit and don't just hand over concealed carry. And in uh, his concurrence, which means that he agreed with the court, but he didn't agree completely, Justice Kavanaugh listed out some of the things and said, hey, you could ask for fingerprinting. You could ask for background checks. You could ask for people to, to do safety training. And so in a sense, he handed New York and California and other states a roadmap. Rewrite your laws. You can have your requirements, but you 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 can't have the state decide whether or not the person is in or out. You have to, if they can check those boxes, they have to be able to get the permit. We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Dr. Susan Liebel right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. 
And we are back continuing our conversation on KYW News Radio in depth with St. Joseph's University Professor of Political Science, Dr. Susan Liebel. As we're talking about this, depending on when people are listening to it, we are waiting for the big Supreme Court abortion decision, uh, which will come in a matter of days. But as we're recording this, it is not out. But there was that leaked draft a few months ago. All the arrows are pointing towards Roe, being, Roe versus Wade being struck down and it being reverted back to the states. So am I being unfair that it defies logic to me, once again, not a lawyer, as a layman, that here you're, you have the Supreme Court saying that states can't do X, Y, and Z, but if what happens, what we're expecting to happen with abortion, they're saying, oh, the federal government, it's it's we have to trust the states on this. So they're playing both sides of the argument, depending upon what the topic is. I just want to be clear. This is an exceptionally radical court, and, you, and you're you're not wrong about, about this being a, a different time. Um, in terms of whether it is inconsistent to say, hey, states, you can't make your own gun laws versus, hey, states, go ahead and make any abortion law you want. The response from these justices would be that there is a enumerated, a specifically written right in the Second Amendment, and the same is not true of bodily integrity or reproductive rights. So now there's a response to that, which is that this was a problem that was actually put out at the time. Nobody wanted to sign on to the Constitution because there wasn't a Bill of Rights, but but then some people like Alexander Hamilton said, but if we make a list, what if we forget something? Then people won't have the right. And James Madison's response was the Ninth Amendment, which says the enumeration of these rights doesn't mean the other ones aren't there. The people get the rest. So you could think about abortion or birth control as that. Like, yeah, it's not in the document, but there's no power given to the national government, you know, to to regulate whether or not I have a child or not. So on the one hand, I think you're right that there's a certain inconsistency here. And I would attribute it to the fact that we're we're hoping that the, the Supreme Court is being rational and textual and thinking like clearly and coherently and above the fray and non-politically. But that's simply that's simply no longer the case. Once again, as we're recording this, there is legislation that it looks to be on track to be passed by the Senate, and it would be gun control to a point. It's probably in the big picture, not a lot, but it is progress on gun control. I'm curious, let's assume this does this package were to pass, the president signs it, it becomes law. Does any of that get blunted by what the Supreme Court ruled in this case? I don't think so. Uh, from what I can see in the legislation, and I have read it through the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, you know, would enhance background checks for prospective gun buyers under the age of 21. And it would also extend the time. Uh, I think it's three days and it'll be extended to 10 days to allow law enforcement time to look at juvenile records uh, and uh, look at mental health records. It'll set aside money to help uh, implement red flag laws, which would allow the government to confiscate guns if a court thinks that a person is a danger to themselves or others, uh, or for intervention, including you know mental health. 
And there's a really interesting loophole that is closed, uh, which used to be referred to as the the boyfriend loophole, uh, which would mean that if you're in a serious current or recent relationship, you know, federal law allows you to bar guns from a domestic abuser. And this would extend this to not just uh, husbands, but people who are, you know, have a, a less formal relationship. So in looking at those things, I don't see anything there that should trigger uh, a problem given this decision by the Supreme Court. Gun tragedies, we are awash in them. But specifically the last few weeks, you had the awful racial driven shooting in Buffalo. You had the uh, disgusting, heartbreaking shooting at an elementary school. And kind of with these things still out there, not to mention the day-to-day gun violence that like, we see that's a lot of times not even making the news anymore because it's just become life. But specifically, these big shooting tragedies, I don't know, I guess the decisions come when the decisions come, but it just seems to make it look even worse that while we're still grappling with the grief from that, the Supreme Court is basically making it easier for people to carry a gun with fewer questions asked. I am so glad you asked that question because it's the question. And in fact, they talk about the mass shooting in Evaldi in the footnotes. Justice Breyer dissented. We haven't talked about that. It was joined by Sotomayor and uh, Justice's cake, just the three of them. And it opens with a much more strident version of what you just said, Matt. I mean, he lists numbers and says, you know, there's been 277 mass shootings this year. You know, there's been over 45,000 Americans uh, killed. And he talks in real specifics about how, for example, gun violence now kills children and teenagers more than anything else. It used to be car accidents, and now it's gun violence. He talks about how women are five more times likely to be killed if an abusive partner has a gun in the house, how people are more likely to commit suicide if there is a gun in the house. And he's very strident. He lists all those numbers. He lists every one of the mass shootings that you listed and more. And he says, this is what the state of New York is trying to grapple with. And this court made this decision without any uh, what's called discovery or where you, you have to ask for certain kinds of specifics. And so he says, you know, people are making claims without having the real numbers and they're not understanding what the government of New York and California and Massachusetts, et cetera, are trying to deal with. And he is beside himself. And, you know, and we should note, this is his last stand. He's retiring. And so we're not going to hear too much from Justice Breyer. You know, this term, we've only got one more day, we think, maybe of, of decisions coming down. And so, so I think what we can see in his decision is this frustration that Americans care about gun violence. We know they care about gun violence, and they do not agree with the Supreme Court. We also know that they don't agree with what we think the Supreme Court is going to say on abortion. And so we have this problem 
he thinks that we are preventing democratically elected officials from enacting laws to address the serious problem of gun violence. And he just comes out and says, instead, you know, the court is inserting their own views. And he says they should be leaving it to legislatures because to make decisions about gun violence, you need facts, you need statistics, you need expert opinions, you need, that's the job of legislators. That's not the job of the court. And we hear in the majority a real pushback. Justice Alito, who writes a concurrence that is only there to say, you're wrong, Justice Breyer, complains like, why are you talking about Evaldi? Why are you bringing up these mass shootings? It's completely irrelevant to what we're deciding today. And Breyer is is trying to say, no, it's exactly what we're deciding today. Does the state of New York, California, all of the 50 states have the right to decide that the rules in Montana should be different than the rules in New York City? And I'll close with another thing that I just have problems wrapping my head around. When that leaked abortion document came out, correct me if I'm wrong, fences went up around the Supreme Court. Got to protect, you know, who knows, any kind of crazy could come in here, you know, got to protect. There was a protest outside Brett Kavanaugh's house, and there was a lot of attention to that, and we got extra security funding almost, you know, unanimously passed through Congress. It's amazing to me that it's almost like they understand that there are threats and problems and, but they're able to protect themselves and make these rulings that kind of leave everybody else on their own. Am I being unfair here? One of the, no, I don't think so. One of the things I noticed during oral arguments uh, were Justice Alito and, uh, and and others asking questions that really indicated they hadn't been out in years. I ride the New York City subway at New York in, in the daytime and at nighttime. And when Justice Roberts brings up Son of Sam, that's from 1979. Like, like it, that sort of shows where they are. And I think you may be right that the 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 life that they lead is just quite rarefied in the district of columbia not taking public transportation although i think it's justice Breyer or Souter, I can't remember who used to bike to the court so like there have been people who kind of get closer to the people but i i think that they are not experiencing the world in the same way that the people that they are making rules for are and I think we can see in public opinion polls that people are registering this. Faith in the Supreme Court, according to Pew numbers, is down significantly. And, you know, you asked a question a long time ago in this conversation, like, well, what does this mean? And I gave you a very specific answer about the law. But I think there's a bigger answer, which is that we're living in a country that's highly polarized in which people don't trust each other. And what this, and we know that this, Supreme Court is less trusted than it was by Americans, and 84% of them don't want it to act politically. So I, I think the sort of big meta answer is that, you know, what the court has done by stepping outside of what the people want is ultimately dangerous. They are an unelected body. They are, as you say, very different and protected. And I don't think they're thinking through 
the level of fear that some people have of seeing bulges in people's pockets and wondering during a rally whether somebody will pull it out. Or for me as a teacher, whether somebody will pull out a gun when they don't like something that's being said by another student or their teacher in class. For some people, that's extremely frightening. And supposedly the the Supreme Court is saying, we'll carve out certain spaces as special as what they call sensitive places, hospitals, courts, and schools. But you know, the streets, the subways for many people also feel like sensitive places. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.